So the majority of people that will be listening to this will be female because obviously we're looking at the menstrual cycle and its impact on fat loss, its impact on training, fat loss mistakes, as well as PCOS and yeah, we'll go from there. If you're a guy listening to it, then you're going to obviously have to respect women a lot more after this because I definitely do. So to start, we'll basically kind of overview it and over a nine month period where a female is pregnant, they need around about 50,000 additional calories on top of what they usually do to support that kind of baby through obviously um, growth and development um, which obviously takes a lot um, for a woman to kind of take a, a a newborn into this life or it takes a guy about, I don't know, the best part of 30 seconds but that's a topic for another day. Um, so we'll look at obviously the menstrual cycle <coughs> um, it has a massive impact on the implications of um, fat loss and um, essentially a female's four different physiologies across the, the month or the cycle um, which obviously definitely has different impacts. So if you start uh, looking at um, females in general, the anatomy of a female, generally they are supposed to have more body fat than a male, that's just the way it is. Um, males obviously have a lot less implications getting uh, leaner, it's a lot harder for a female to lose body fat, it's as simple as that which we'll get on to. Basically, if you look at the, um, the menstrual cycle in different phases, we have the first phase, okay, so from day one of menstruation, so when you get your period, basically, from day one to day 14, that's your golden ticket, so that's your good phase, okay, in terms of training and everything else. So just remember this as I'm saying it, day one to day 14 is your good phase, it's the golden ticket, all right? So this is the follicular phase, basically follicles kind of get prepared, etc., um, to release an egg. And obviously day 14 is ovulation when the, when the egg is released. So from day 1 to day 14 is the follicular phase, your golden ticket phase, the good phase. And that's where estrogen, okay, so the um, hormone estrogen is highest. Now estrogen is good for a kind of muscle recovery and uh, performance, which we'll get on to. And in this phase from day 1 to 14, the good phase, testosterone is also highest, okay, at day 13, just before ovulation, which is the male growth hormone, which is really good for performance. So we'll get on to that as well. Okay. So now we'll look at the, the luteal phase, okay, so that's the second half, and we're going to call that the bad phase. So from day 14 to 28, give or take a day or two. Now with the luteal phase, what happens is obviously ovulation occurs on day 14, and it obviously goes into the luteal phase, and basically that follicle that was produced in the first phase um, kind of closes over and gets turned into something called a corpus luteum which basically promotes the re um, release of the hormone progesterone. And progesterone causes a lot of problems, such as PMS, which is premenstrual symptoms, so you've got your, your, your mood swings, um, your bloating, your acne, um, where you feel more down, and as a female, you'll be able to re re um, relate to that a lot better than I can right now, and it's obviously a hard um, part of you in your menstrual cycle, and it's obviously a completely impacts training and fat loss. So from day 14 to 20, 28, okay, we'll call that the bad phase, okay, so in this phase, a female roughly needs between one to 300 additional calories a day, than what they did need in the, in the golden ticket the first phase all right so what happens here is because obviously females they have that cravings and that's because your body is requiring that extra calories you need that basically to support the process and the physiology of your body now what happens here is obviously they start to binge and they actually overeat by around studies suggest around 500 extra calories a day when they only need about one to three hundred extra calories a day so they're obviously binging and that accumulated over a period of time is obviously going to result in more um fat being deposited basically because they're in a uh, calorie surplus. So what I'm basically getting at and um, the kind of takeaways from this is obviously uh, from day one of menstruation, so as soon as you get your period, all the way to ovulation day 14, that is your golden ticket phase in terms of nutrition and training, all right? 
So if you want to start a diet, time it around your menstrual cycle. So for you to do this, you're gonna to have to mark on the calendar, okay? So day one of my period, when you start menstruating, put a blue mark, whatever it is in your calendar, okay? And then from there, you know you've got about 14 days of a good kind of phase where you can really smash your nutrition, get your calories on point, and really kind of up your training. And then from day 14 to 28, um, you kind of know obviously that you're gonna struggle a bit more, but we'll get onto that. So what I'd recommend if you're starting a diet, Time it around your follicular phase, so the golden ticket phase, okay? So as soon as you have your, or you get your day one of your period, start your new diet there, start your training there. And then obviously you're gonna be a lot more likely to be able to adhere to your calorie deficit and your nutrition's gonna be better, you're gonna feel more energy, you're gonna be more upbeat. Whereas if you start it in the luteal phase, you're off to a bad start, you're gonna have cravings, you're gonna have bloating, you're gonna look, not look as good, you're gonna obviously have all these kind of problems. And what we can do if you're new to a calorie deficit and you're struggling, when you get to your uh, luteal phase, we can take your calories back up to maintenance, so the second half, so you're now maintaining your body weight in this phase because it's a lot harder to stick to a calorie deficit until you're confident enough and you think you can maintain a calorie deficit through the whole month from there. So obviously once you get through your luteal phase at maintenance calories, you obviously cycle your calories back down into your calorie deficit from there. So hopefully that made sense this bit. What we're going to look at is fat loss mistakes, okay? So mistakes that people are making along the fat loss journey. <coughs> and basically this is the point as females listen to this uh, part of the podcast is where basically you can basically blame all your fat loss mistakes on your partner, all right? So let's give you an example. You've got a Imagine your partner, we're just, I'm going to make up someone for the scenario list, I'm going to make up someone called Paul, he's six, six foot one, about the same height as me, give or take six inches. If you know my height, then you'll get the joke. Um, so basically, Paul's six foot one, okay, so the taller you are, the more calories you need at rest for your body to operate, the more calories you need throughout the day when you're moving as well. So obviously, in, in general, males are, are taller than females. So the first thing, they're going to need more calories in general. Two, they have higher testosterone levels, meaning they're kind of genetically, I'm generalizing here, they're stronger, and they obviously move a lot more during the day as well, generalizing again, so they need more energy for that. They also have more um, muscle mass, generalizing again, but that's because of increased testosterone levels, which is the male growth hormone, which females do have, which we'll come on to in a bit. So, all in all there, you can see men obviously can eat more calories in a day because they have they burn more calories in a day. So let's say, for example, um, Paul's maintenance calories, so the amount of calories he needs a day, in relation to activity to maintain his body weight is 2,800 calories, okay? That's roughly what he, he can eat and not put on any, any weight or lose any. Now, you're a female, let's say you're five foot six, and your maintenance calories to maintain your body weight is only 1,600 calories, okay? Or we'll call it 1,800 calories. So it's 1,800 calories to maintain your body weight. Now, obviously you can see Paul can have an extra 1,000 calories per day and not put on any weight than you can. So if you're living with Paul, you're likely gonna be having the same meals at the weekend, or even during the week, the same portion size, um, et cetera, et cetera, and hopefully you can see where I'm getting at here. So if you go out for Nando's, for example, on a Saturday, um, you have, we'll say your calorie goal is 1,600, okay? You have an 1,100 uh, calorie Nando's, which is easily achievable. That is 70% of your daily calories intake in one meal gone because your calorie intake goal is 1600 calories. Now, Paul, on the other hand, six foot one, got a bit of muscle, whatever, he's 2800 calories he can consume. That's So that 1100 calories is only 40% of his calorie intake for the day. So that's really made any impact at all on his nutrition for the day. And it's not really gonna put him into a surplus or too much hassle. 
So it's the same as a, a guy, a guy that's five foot six like myself. It's a lot harder for me to lose weight than it is, or I can make more mistakes, sorry, than it is for someone at six foot one, because that Nando's just took such a, ch- such a chunk out of my daily calories. And for someone that's obviously a lot taller, it's not really kind of made that much of a difference at all. <clears throat> so moving on from that, your partner's to blame. We'll, we'll, we'll say that. Um, so obviously eating the same as them is obviously going to be a bit of an issue because they can obviously eat a lot more than you and maintain their current body weight or even lose weight than you can and obviously you're going to be putting on weight as a result and to generalise again guys you kind of generally have more active um, jobs than, than females so if you imagine a builder they're kind of lifting heavy objects moving for 9-10 hours a day during their job and if, if, if generalising again a female has an office job where she kind of sits around most of the day at a desk she's not going to be moving a lot which means the guy's going to be burning a lot of calories during the day where the female's not at all so again that's putting a, another shift towards um, your kind of problem with your fat loss mistakes okay so moving on it takes a female roughly 33% longer than it does for a guy to burn the same amount of calories so one third longer so if it took me 40 minutes to burn 500 calories it's going to take you an hour so an extra 20 minutes and again that's obviously not going to be ideal for a female and that's just because females for their physiology for the evolution process um, for reproduction they need that body fat so their body is very very clever unlike a guy's um, where you just kind of hang on to it a lot more so it takes you a lot longer to burn that same amount of fat or calories so obviously if you're eating the same amount as old Paul over here then obviously it's going to take you 33% so one third longer to burn it than he is and obviously he's still at maintenance and you're way in a, in a surplus around about an extra 1200 calories over your daily your daily target so moving on to another mistake is what people do is let's say your calorie target again for a female you're 1800 calories um, to maintain your current body weight so if you eat any less than that and still move as much you're going to lose weight so you're in a calorie deficit so let's say you drop your calories down to 1500 calories from Monday uh, to Friday so your 300 calorie deficit every single day so that over five days is a 1500 calorie deficit which is superb in terms of your fat loss goals now at the weekend you're obviously with Paul you probably lie in on a Saturday morning which means your daily energy expenditure so the amount of calories you move, uh, you burn per day by moving is going to be a lo- uh, massively reduced uh, just because you're not moving as much because you're in bed for longer. On top of that, you're going to probably be eating more because you're eating what Paul's eating in his portions. So you're going to be straight out of your deficit. So if you have an extra 750 calories on top of your 1800, uh, sorry, 1800 sorry, to your maintenance than what you usually have, which is easily doable by an extra meal or so, and the same on Sunday, that's puts you in a 1500 calorie surplus so you've had your 1500 calorie deficit monday to friday would have been perfect now on the on the saturday uh, you've had 750 calories extra and on the sunday which makes 1500 calories so you're literally straight back at maintenance and you've not obviously lost any weight because you're obviously even again so it's another mistake being very good during the week then obviously going over the weekend and eating what your partner does or or moving less kind of them kind of ideas that's why it's so so important for us to have a daily step goal if we have a daily step goal of 10,000 steps then we know at the weekend we're just as active as we were during the week by moving so then we're kind of obviously going to be a lot better off in the terms of the calories that we've burned even though we're kind of eating more it's not going to eat into our obviously problems as much luckily we kind of do a couple of things to um uh kind of reduce the the damage that's going to kind of make basically we'll go on to that in a second 
Another thing what happens as well, especially in females, uh, you notice it a lot more, is when you reduce a, a female's calories, what usually happens is their, their, their steps uh, decrease, so they walk a lot less and they move a lot less. Now that again, that goes back to how important it is to basically have a daily step goal. So if I have your calories at 1800 calories, okay, and you're not losing weight, if I drop that to 1500 calories, you might be doing 10,000 steps a day, and if I don't track your steps, you don't track your steps. You'll go down to 1500 calories, but then you'll move less, so you might only do 7,000 steps that day. So that 300 calories that you've dropped during eating each day, you've also burnt 300 calories less because you've moved less that day, so you're back at evens again. That's why it's so important to have your, your daily step goal, and obviously, reduce your calories but keep your steps and activity exactly the same. Hopefully that's making sense to you. Another thing uh, that we make a mistake with, with females is, is comparing your weight. So it's only up until recently and I can guarantee you 99% of, of PTs don't actually kind of know this. It's only recently I've really looked into it and I've been like, oh my goodness. Um, is weight, obviously you have four different physiologies across the month. So comparing week one of your menstrual cycle with week two, your weight, you're, you're a completely different physiology, so it's not accurate to compare your week one weight with your week two weight, with your week three weight. It's only gonna be accurate if you compare your weight on week one of your menstrual cycle with week one on your new menstrual cycle because your your physiology is the same then. Week three is gonna get compared, compared with the next month's week three because that's when you're the same physiology. Just for accuracy and keeping consistent variables in your, obviously, your measurements. And the reason for that is, I've had clients, I've looked at their daily steps, I've looked at their calories, and they've been absolutely superb, and I know they're gonna drop on this check-in, and then they check-in and their weight's the exact same, and I'm like, how is this? This is just with females. And then, the next week, they're not quite as good, but because they've done so well the last week, there were new check-ins, like a couple of pounds down, I'm like, how is that? And it's because, obviously, on week four, when you've got PMS or premenstrual symptoms, such as bloating, etc., etc., then obviously that's gonna affect your weight. So when they check in, it might be week four and they've been superb the week prior to it and then they don't lose any weight and it demotivates them. But if they're good the next week, obviously when that kind of PMS symptoms, etc., go away, like the bloating, etc., on that week one when they weigh in again, they're having a big drop. That's why it's only accurate to weigh week one, week one, week four, week four, etc., etc. It's just another mistake that we make. Um, some things that happen, I'm going to touch upon it but not going to do it too much, is with like bikini competitors, etc., or that kind of girl that you see on stage, you think, oh my goodness, look, she's got abs, look how skinny her legs are. Like, generalizing, females are not supposed to be really skinny around the legs, and the reason for that is to support pregnancy. They have that higher body fat percentage. So girls obviously look at people in a, in a magazine and be like, I want to look like that, but are they, is that female healthy? And the reason why I'm touching upon that is, is looking at bikini competitors, and if you don't know what that is, it's basically that people that stand up on stage and fake tan females looking really lean in a bikini and that's the kind of goal is to look as slim, skinny and lean and defined as they can and it's fine because that's what, what, what they want to do but the problem with that is there's massive problems in terms of their menstrual cycle so they go through something called amenorrhea which is complete loss of the menstrual cycle and that's basically their body saying to them, listen, you're far too low on your body fat for you to reproduce so your physiology, you're not meant, meant to be in the in that kind of state, you're not healthy at the moment. And that's the kind of problem I know personally at bikini competitors that obviously compete and they've not had their menstrual cycle in six months. This is even after competition when they start eating again because their hormones are all over the place. They're not kind of feeding their body right to the correct amount of calories. So just count yourself lucky that if you're not in that situation and being that lean, is it really a good look? It might look good for on stage, but that that female has no energy. They're moodier than ever because 
they don't have the energy, especially in that second half where your body requires that extra energy and they're also not getting their menstrual cycle either. So what I would recommend, obviously, for that fat loss mistakes, especially at the weekend when you're with your partner or, if, or, or a male in general, um, is to actually introduce intermittent fasting at weekends. So what that is, is basically a fasted window where you only eat from 12 noon till 8 p.m. at night. And there's nothing special about this. All it does is give you a smaller window to eat, which means you're you're more likely to eat less calories in that window and that can be really helpful so if you have a, a kind of weekend of eating so you're eating out having a nando's whatever it may be going out for lunch if you basically miss breakfast for example you're saving a couple hundred calories there that you can obviously implement later on so you're not having as many calories throughout the day so if you go out for your meal and your lunch and a dinner whatever it may be and you have breakfast that's obviously a big dent but if you take away breakfast it's obviously not as big a dent another thing you can do is think of your calories over the week Okay, so you're going to have a daily average. So <laughs> your daily target is 1,800 calories, okay? We're just giving you an example here. It's not going to be specific to you. So it's 1,800 calories. So if we time that by 7, that gives us one, uh, sorry, 12,600 calories. So if we look at that over a week, we can still hit 12,600 calories even though you don't stick to your calories every single day. So let's say your target's obviously 1,800. Let's say on Monday and Tuesday you have 2,000 each day, so you go over by 200 calories each day. So we're 400 calories above our, our kind of our plan, if you like. Now we can strip that back on Wednesday and Thursday by having, obviously, we can obviously have uh, 1,600 calories, so 200 calories each day less than our goal. So we are 200 calories up Monday, Tuesday, but we're 200 calories under Wednesday, Thursday. So now we're obviously straight back to normal. So we're 400 calories up on Tuesday, and then obviously on Thursday we took it 400 calories down, so now we're even again. Another thing we can do is, also basically what I'm trying to say there is your calories don't have to be bang on every single day, as long as over the week they add up to 12,600. So you could have 3,000 calories on Monday, as long as over the week it averages out at 12,600. So obviously that's just gonna make you a big deficit for the rest of the week, where you're gonna have to go a lot lower than 1,600 calories um, to get to that. Um, another thing we can do is pull back your calories before the weekend. <laughs> So at the weekend, for example, if you know you've got a weekend of eating, if you're obviously your your, your maintenance calories is 1,800, so you'd obviously drop to 1,600, for example, to create your 200 calorie deficit. And um, what you can do is on maybe Thursday and Friday, go down to 1,300 calories. So you're actually 500 calories each day below your, your kind of maintenance calories. And that's giving you that little bit more buffer room for, for the weekend because you're a couple hundred calories each day lower than you, than you are, have been previously which is going to give you that buffer so when you overeat at the weekend it's not going to be as bad so what we can also do is if you kind of have a, a big meal on sunday and you're overeating you're like, oh i'm over my calories strip it back the next day just take whatever you've overeat by just take that off the next day's calories and you're, you're back to square one so it's not as big a deal as you think as long as your average is, is on point yes we covered that there so We'll look at the menstrual cycle and its impact on training. So we had a little break from the menstrual cycle as such there. So looking back to the follicular phase, and we'll, we'll re-describe that as the golden ticket phase. So that's your, your, your really good phase. And that's not just for nutrition, that's also for your, your training as well. We, uh, females are strongest in this phase, especially at day 13, uh, where testosterone levels are highest. And that's the male growth hormone, okay? Um, females do have that present, and it spikes at day 13, the day before ovulation. Now... In the follicular phase, like I keep going on, the golden ticket phase, and that's just so you really remember this, that's day one, so as soon as you start menstruating, all the way to day 14, that's your, your really good phase. Females can be up to 40% stronger in this phase than they are in the in the luteal phase, the second half, where progesterone is obviously at its highest, which is the nastier of the hormones. 
So what I'd recommend massively, especially uh, for females, is just to really focus on progressively overloading here. So from day one to 14 of your new menstrual cycle, really, really focus on getting your personal best, upping your weights when you feel like it, really pushing that a little bit harder than usual because this is where your physiology is allowing you to do that. Use that wisely and cleverly and really push more there. Um, again, if you're a female athlete, it's also wise, for example, if we give the Olympics as an example so say your olympics is on the i don't know if you're in olympics it might be in june it might be the 13th of june if that um lines up with the luteal phase so the bad phase of your cycle you can obviously adjust the um female's menstrual cycle upon recording this i don't actually know how but i will look into that and obviously if you're 40 percent kind of stronger or 40 percent weaker shall we say in the luteal phase so the second half lining your menstrual cycle up with that's going to give you a massive um obviously downgrading your performance so someone that's maybe not as good as you not as fit as you not as strong as you may beat you just because they're at a good stage of their cycle where you're not so obviously line your cycle up with that first 14 days around that event is obviously going to be paramount to performance now if you look at the uh, luteal phase again that's the bad phase so that from day 14 onwards so progesterone's highest here now progesterone brings about that pms symptoms that premenstrual um symptoms which like um, bloating, um, lack of energy, fatigue, mood swings, um, feeling really hungry, overeating, um, which is obviously not great for training and you obviously feel a lot more fatigued as well because your body's needing that one to 300 extra calories a day and obviously that's going to reduce your energy levels. Um, where am I going with this? So, And again, because progesterone is, is the main uh, hormone in the second phase, estrogen's not as high, so that's the, the hormone, the good hormone, shall we say, in terms of training. That's which is obviously spiked in its peak in the first phase from day one to 14. And basically this estrogen is really good for muscle recovery. Um, and obviously it's not as present in the second half of the phase, which means your recovery is going to be suboptimal as well. So really pushing your training here is going to be a little bit of a, an end. And the reason why I'm touching upon this, because I notice clients, a female clients, is they'll, they'll be in maybe two, three weeks ago and they'll be really strong and then, They'll, they'll be in again and they're, they're kind of a wee bit off the mark I'm just, and I'm thinking why is this and obviously because it's lining up with the second half of their cycle with their um, suboptimal recovery, suboptimal energy levels, not feeling as good etc etc and they have that 40% reduction in performance or up to 40% reduction in performance. Hopefully this is making sense. Uh, in the second half of your cycle, females are also at risk of uh, more in, uh, greater injury because of increased elasticity, especially at the hips. So what I mean by that is you're more um, likely to have dislocations, etc. And the reason for that is if you imagine your hips being held together by elastic bands, i.e. ligaments and tendons. On day 1 to 14, so the good, the golden ticket phase, um, so from day 1 of your menstrual cycle, where you start, um, we have your, your period starts, um, your elastic bands around your hips, i.e. your ligaments and tendons are tight and strong and stable and they're really supportive. But on day 14 onwards, where progesterone's released, um, they become a lot more elasticated. So you imagine loose elastic bands. So your kind of pelvis and hip area doesn't have that stability and they're a lot looser as such, which kind of heightens your chances of dislocation. The reason why I'm saying this is you're kind of probably thinking, shit, that second half of that phase is really not good for training hard. And what I'm not saying to here is slacking off your train. I'm just saying here, maybe if you're really trying to keep a track of your menstrual cycle to maybe not push as hard here, save that for day one to 14. And then from day 14 to 28 to maintain and not really think about pushing and try to overload and thinking, oh, why am I not strong here? And, and that's obviously the reason. So don't slacken off, just maintain it. <coughs> and don't try to try go for PB's personal best then. 
I don't expect you to just maintain what you've been doing and obviously that day one to 14 when you get back to it, the golden ticket phase, then really try and smash it from there. So obviously my recommendations here, you know what they're gonna be, is use that week's following menstruation. So as soon as menstruation starts, to ovulation day one to 14 to really overload and push your training, try that for that personal best, try and go up that weight. And then obviously that luteal phase, don't slacken off, just maintain and then obviously until you get back to day one again of your new cycle. So hopefully that's making sense. Now we're gonna move on to polycystic ovary syndrome and this is a big bear of kind of pain in a lot of females' lives. And <coughs> it's a lot more um, common than people actually think. Basically polycystic ovary syndrome is um, a result of increased androgens, which is male hormones. And basically it results in irregular periods or a complete loss of the menstrual cycle in some cases. And it has massive implications on um, the impact on weight loss. So other symptoms are obviously irregular periods or a complete loss of your menstrual cycle, weight gain, um, <coughs> and also kind of increased, I'm not saying facial hair, but more hair across the facial area, not like a beard of course, but um, you kind of know what I'm getting at here. And what the kind of problem with the weight gain in polycystic ovary syndrome is, is basically a resistance to insulin. I'm going to take a little bit of time to kind of really, this is getting towards the end of the podcast, but to kind of explain what insulin resistance is. So would you imagine, I wish I could kind of do it in a video here where I can use my hands to explain a bit better. If you imagine when you eat kind of sugar foods, carbohydrates, what happens is initially it goes into your bloodstream, okay? So it's in your blood, so it's called blood sugar. Now there's an optimal level of sugar in your blood, okay? And when we exceed that, which we always will when we eat, our blood sugar spikes. Now it's not optimal for our body to have really high blood sugar. So what our body does, it's really clever and it releases the hormone called insulin from the pancreas. And basically what happens there is insulin try or does convert that stored, or sorry, that blood sugar, okay, into stores. So it tries to, first it's gonna put it into muscle because obviously our muscles are using a lot of energy. So it's gonna go straight to muscles. Okay, then it's gonna put it into the liver. And then if both the muscle glycogen, so the muscle sugar storage and the liver storage is full, then it's gonna deposit it as fat, okay? And that's when obviously we're eating in the calorie surplus where we're depositing it as fat. Now the problem with being insulin resistant is our blood sugar is really high. And then we convert, um, obviously because our blood sugar is high, our insulin's released. And because we're uh, resistant, to, resistant to insulin, our muscles that we, or your muscles, sorry, that you um, obviously go to deposit that uh, sugar stores in, don't uptake it, they don't absorb that nutrients and sugar, they're kind of resistant to it, they don't want that when they really are requiring or needing it. So what happens then, it gets deposited as fat. Now, that's fine because it's still the same amount of calories, but then what happens there <coughs> is your body's needing, your muscles are still screaming out for energy, so then basically it's gonna, make you want to eat more food and kind of consume more calories to get that energy in your muscles. But obviously by eating more food, it's putting you further into calorie surplus. So to kind of recap what I'm getting on there, cause I kind of went a little bit off is obviously you're resist resistant to insulin. So obviously insulin's released because your blood sugar is too high. It tries to put it into your muscles to store it there, but your muscles don't want it because it's resistant to insulin. So then it goes and puts it as fat but your muscle's still needing the energy, it's still screaming out for it, so it's making you crave more food, eat more food, etc. And the problem with your um, 
<coughs> obviously being insulin resistant, it means there's more um, sugar in your blood than optimal levels, which puts a lot of pressure on the pancreas because it's more insulin, more insulin, more insulin's been released and, and produced, which obviously makes the pancreas uh, work overtime, which puts you at massively higher risk of type 2 diabetes and pre-diabetes and also dizziness as well. And I notice with my clients that have said they have PCOS, they're the ones that tend to get a bit dizzier in the gym and it's kind of all making sense now, obviously. Another problem with PCOS um, is redu reduced metabolism and I don't want to go too far into metabolism because people just blame it on oh, I'm, I'm not losing weight because my metabolism is not as, as fast as my friend and that's not the case and um, your metabolism only really changes as you lose weight <coughs> so the lighter you get the less calories you burn at rest because your body doesn't need as much energy to obviously kind of keep yourself functioning basically but with PCOS you do have reduced metabolism or it can be can be seen so obviously reduced metabolism means you're burning less calories at rest so if you were if you were um say identical twins okay and you move the exact same you had the same job you did the exact same workout in the gym and you ate the exact same calories yous would look exactly the same and you'd have the same level of body fat and strength etc However, if one, let's say, for example, did have PCOS, they don't burn as much calories at rest just when they're lying down over a 24-hour period. So if they're eating the same amount of calories, they're going to obviously massively kind of put on more fat than the other one because they're not burning as much calories at rest. So they might only burn 600 calories over a 24-hour period at rest when they're doing nothing, whereas the other twin might burn 1,400 calories at rest when they're doing nothing because obviously 50% of your energy in a day roughly that's burned comes from your metabolism. It burns a lot of calories, a lot more than you think. So obviously, that's a massive kind of difference there. And someone with PCOS basically isn't able to consume as many calories because they're not burning um, as many calories naturally, basically, without movement. So that's when, if I was to say to someone, another personal trainer, for example, oh, my client here is um, five foot eight, whatever weight, and oh, she's on a thousand calories, they'd look at me like I'm an idiot. and. And that's because if they didn't understand PCOS, um, which is obviously not very covered, or the menstrual cycle, it's not a very well covered area by PTs, um, they would look at me like I'm an idiot. But because I understand and know about this, it might be perfect for that client to be in that amount of calories because they're obviously not burning as much at rest. So they require that low calories because they're not burning as much. So obviously to put them in a deficit. So hopefully that's making sense there. So I'm going to go into the recommendations and close up this um, podcast here uh, just in a minute or so and give a silver lining for PCOS. So the recommendations that I have personally for um, myself for people with PCOS is to basically manipulate your carbohydrate intake, so your foods, around your workout. Um, and the reason for this is because if you eat carbohydrates just before or just after your workout, your muscles are going to be worked obviously in the workout, which means they're going to be screaming for energy. Um, a lot more than they would at rest. They're screaming for nutrients, they're screaming for sugar, which is going to make you more sensitive to insulin, which basically means you're going to be more likely to uptake and absorb that nutrients into the muscles instead of just depositing it as fat and obviously uh, making you eat more after. So basically just making yourself more able to absorb that nutrients obviously makes a lot more sense to time your carbohydrates around your workout. I'd also um, massively recommend resistance training. Um, if you think if you go out a cycle for an hour at a really slow pace, your body doesn't need a large amount of energy quickly. It's just slow little bits of energy so your muscle can easily kind of keep up with the amount of energy that's getting. It's not, not bothered at all. But if you do resistance training, so weight training, um, and you lift a weight for 10 reps, that's a short amount of time where your body needs a massive amount of energy as quick as possible so your muscles are screaming out for it. So basically what's going to happen there is your muscles are going to be a lot more likely to 
uptake and absorb that sugar and that nutrients as a result of that. So I'd massively um, recommend resistance training to try and increase your sensitivity to um, insulin and stop you being as resistant, if that makes sense. And obviously a high protein diet as well. So to finish off this podcast, um, silver lining for people with PCOS is they're less likely to suffer from PMS just because of the irregular menstrual cycle. So the premenstrual symptoms such as basically moodiness, cravings, as much bloating, etc. And because they're irregular menstrual cycle, they actually have a lot uh, greater chance of having a lot better performance. Um, and this is because of a couple of things, because of obviously increasing male hormones, um, they've got better recovery because estrogen's present for longer and they're more in that golden ticket phase for a longer duration. So they're basically, their performance is basically enhanced for a longer period of time and upon training, etc. Um, that's always going to be a massive, massive bonus. And when you actually study the top female athletes in the world, a lot of them either have PCOS, underlying symptoms of PCOS, or they're very, very good at manipulating their menstrual cycle um, around the the event they're peaking for. So hopefully that cleared a few things up, obviously about the menstrual cycle, and the massive, massive impact it does have on females' physiology, obviously training, on females' fat loss uh, efforts, etc., etc. And hopefully you've took a few things from that. So the recommendation overall I would have is have a calendar. Day one of menstruation, so when you get your period, mark it in blue. And then the next month when you get your period, mark it in blue. Then you can kind of see roughly where your menstrual cycle is starting and ending. And you can kind of plan your training around that and your nutrition as well. So hopefully that's made sense and this has helped a lot of people. And we'll post another one next week.